Blog Talk Radio. can finally play the game. for a man under fire. Uh, <laughs> that was well as can be. Mustered the troops. And uh, I, I don't lose. I, there it is. I, uh, I, I'm sorry I'm going to let you get to that here uh, in our rants here so you can put them on blast. Uh, but we won't be remiss if we don't start with what happened on Sunday, on Championship Sunday. And we got one good game and we got one not so good game. Well, before we get <laughs> on to that, I uh, just got a you know a message for, uh, for 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 Tom Brady. I never liked you anyway, pretty mother. <laughs> 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 but no, uh, I know Dylan uh, <laughs> couldn't get in front of the TV for for that one. But that was a monster show uh, by the Denver defense. That defensive line. I mean, they should have just given them all a game ball. Uh, I, I looked it up. They had 77, 75, I believe, total plays New England did on offense, and Tom Brady got hit on 23 of them. Just think about that. One out of every three, one out of every four plays, he was on his backside, and that just does not happen to uh, Tom Brady. Uh, so uh, hats off to that, to that Denver defensive line. Even though all that happened, Bob Miller made himself a ton of money as well in that game. But even outside of that, they still had a chance to win, and it was really shocking to me that Bill Belichick got so far out of character. Like, every time this season that they won the coin toss, he's deferred. But this Sunday, he decided to accept. And then instead of going for the two field goals on fourth down in Kaskowski's range, he went for it, and they didn't get it. And, of course, Kaskowski with the uh, Miss PAT, <laughs> which is part of the Bill Belichick uh, pushing to move the PAT back to make it equivalent of a 33-yard field goal. It was just odd to see that. Um, I know you were listening, but it, it, it just to see it, they just seemed so flustered, and you never seen it. And they got outcoached. Uh, and, of course, the offensive line coach uh, got axed the next day, which I think is just ridiculous because he's not the offensive coordinator. He didn't tell you not to try to have a run game. So, I, I mean, when you were listening to it, what kind of, you know, could you hear the crowd in there because they were going nuts too. What kind of, uh, did you get it from not from necessarily watching it, but from listening on your end? Well, I listened to it because I was at work, but then I right. did rewatch it. Oh, okay. I did rewatch, and uh, what amazed me most is you said 
Brady was hit 23 times, and I'll trust you on that number. Yeah. There was no flags for a late hit, which to me is even more out of this world that they allowed Brady to get hit, <laughs> which is awesome. And Denver's defense set it up perfectly. You heard them before the game started talking about how Tom likes to cry and look at the refs every mm-hmm. time he's touched. So everybody mm-hmm. was kind of already looking for that part of the game. And when it happened, I mean, none of the hits were really – there were a few that were close to the vest, and usually Brady gets those. If it's close to that one step, step and a half, he'll get them. But uh, they called it a lot closer this time, and it really worked out in Denver's favor. It was a great gamble by them. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of uh, akin to when you watch it like in the NBA when the coaches always go in the press and talk about how this guy's not getting fouled or is getting fouled and not getting the calls, and then the next game they get those calls or they you know don't. So they kind of lobbied the, the rest through the, through the press, which I thought was – very smart because Tom Brady isn't a, a, a super crybaby. Uh, but, you know, as well as that Denver defense played, you know, and knocking Tom Brady around, they still had a chance to win, uh, even outside of not going for the field goals. I mean, I just – I found that amazing. That was that was really a good game. And, of course, you know, no love lost really for me for Tom Brady. I think everybody that, that, that knows me knows that. <laughs> um, not to mention, that, that makes Tom Brady 0 for 4 playing in Denver yeah. in the playoffs. And it makes him winless against Peyton Manning in his last four attempts. So, yeah. interesting dynamic. Most people kind of think of it as Brady runs that rivalry. Not lately, mm-hmm. and now the numbers are much closer. It's uh, It really has become one of the, the single best rivalries between players, and I don't know who's going to pick up that mantle anymore. That's one of the things that are just kind of just now getting touched on as Peyton winds down and – yeah. You were losing. It's almost like a Red Sox-Yankees rivalry, only between two of the single best players of all time. Yeah, very much so. And if you look at those list of quarterbacks he's lost to, I think one of them is like Jake Palmer. And, I mean, it's not a who's who of Denver quarterbacks he's lost to in Denver. For whatever reason, that uh, that thin air. And just the, the Manning brothers in the playoffs, period. I think uh, Brady's record is more inflated because he kind of gets paid a lot in the regular season. But, you know, Payton's been holding his own a little bit more in the in, in the postseason. Um, and to your point, I think the only thing that I can think of in terms of two quarterbacks that aren't guaranteed to play each other because they're not in the same division would be a Cam Russell Wilson kind of in the NFC where they, you know, they win their division and Cam and win the, the South or they end up with the same records and they play, the, you know, the next year. But outside of that, I don't know if there is another one that I can really look to that you don't get a guaranteed game, right? Like, because it's easy to say within a division this is going to be a rivalry because they have to play each other per the schedule. But you know, outside of that, the way that it's settled up, set up for Brady and Manning, I think the only thing I can come up with is Russell. I would agree. I mean, both of these, both of those teams are young. Uh, Panthers look, and they're my pick. We don't even have to ask if they're my pick through and through this week or for this game as well. Uh, if they do knock off and get the Super Bowl, that'll put the Cam and Russell rivalry and really start it up. Uh, this will be two straight years. One of them has knocked the other one out of the playoffs. It'll just be it'll be fun to watch, and uh, I don't know if it's going to have the same spark as Brady Manning because I can't put either of those two players up on that caliber. So enjoy what you just saw. It's probably going to be the last time you saw it. Yeah, absolutely, a- absolutely. But there was a time too that we didn't know that Brady and Manning was going to be that special. So we got to give it time, you know, to grow and get to that point. You know, we always want to make the next thing the best thing right right away. So. You know, let it percolate and, and, and see if it gets to that point. But agree, that, that's probably the last time. 
And we're going to get to the debacle known as Jaquan picking against Carolina. And I think that's going to stop because that second game was just an absolute whitewashing. Um, and I guess the you. biggest thing, well, you know, the game plan was there. I don't, it was Carson Palmer. I don't know, you know, I guess if anybody that plays any significant time in Cincinnati, don't ever, 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 ever pick them in an important playoff game, clearly. Because <laughs> two fumbles and four interceptions, and I mean, not even, you know, there's a time to be aggressive, but some of those decision making, decision making he had was, <clears throat> excuse me, was just god awful. Um, you know, especially at the end, uh, the second half, when you, you got a chance to, you know, cut it to 10. And Peterson returns it again, to his credit, tracks him down. And then on the very next play, you know, you, you throw it into double yep. coverage. Kurt Coleman, I mean, he's sitting there the whole time. I I just don't have any questions, any reasons uh, or answers for what Carson Palmer was going for in that game. Uh, inexperience really should. It's been a while since Carson's been in the playoffs. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it was the first game he's played since the the debacle with uh, Pittsburgh, where he got his knee destroyed. And, well, the previous uh, you, week, I thought could... he got the Judas out. No, I don't know. It was, uh, I don't know if he was ever going to get him out. I think this. I think you, a playoff run, for your mm-hmm. first playoff run, it's still all pretty much your first run. I think it takes another year, because I think all those, all those nerves are just going to kind of keep going the closer you get to the Super Bowl that first time up until you're a little bit more relaxed. And most of them go through it. Uh, Kaepernick didn't, which was why people jumped on his bandwagon. But don't forget Russell Wilson, <laughs> his first year in the playoffs, threw five interceptions his first game. Um, Aaron Rodgers, his first year, they dodged that. And I believe they won the Super Bowl his first year as a starter. Um, yeah. But through years after that, he's had games where he's thrown three or four interceptions um, Brady's had those games early on in his career. Um, it's well documented that Peyton throughout the beginning of his career couldn't play in the playoffs. It, it's just part of the growing process, and it's a shame because Palmer is already older, but that Arizona team yeah. should be right back there next year, and I think they'll do a little bit better next year. Yeah, and I would say, yeah, I, I thought they maybe through that Green Bay game here and worked through something to Jitters, but no. Um, and I guess, you know, also <laughs> – we can put to bed that if Arizona, if Carson Palmer got hurt last year, that Arizona would have been big and bad and mighty, uh, you know, the excuses we gave Arizona last year. Because if Carson was going to play like this last year, I, I think we're going to get the same – we got the same um, the same result. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think we're both on board in terms of Super Bowl 50. Uh, I would love for Peyton Manning to go out on top. I really would. But, you know, it, I can't see it happening. And it, to me, it almost – not exactly, but it feels a lot like – when he played Seattle, you got a really good young D. You got a mobile quarterback. Uh, they got a wide receiver crew that nobody really, you know, pays much attention to, but they end up getting the job done anyway. Uh, it just, I just don't know because as well as they played against New England, you know, like I talked about before, New England had every chance in that fourth quarter to win that game. So, I, I like you said, I, I, I'm on the bandwagon. Uh, at this point, I, I think it's got to be Carolina and. Of course, you know, I want to see my Buckeyes do well. You know, Ted Ginn and Philly Brown and Kirk Coleman coming alive again. You know, Luke Kuechly being from Cincinnati. I don't know why I was rooting against them. I have every reason to root for them. So, Been uh, in so Atlanta too long, my friend. Well. <laughs> That's probably what it is. It, it really is. Uh, and I go up there a lot. For, I've been going up there for that game. And uh, we won one. And this year we got, we got, we got monkey stopped uh, in Charlotte. That was pretty bad. 
Um, so I throw it to you. Uh, is there anything else you want to, uh, to add to that uh, Super Bowl preview? Just how tough this Panthers team is. I think it's going to be relatively low yeah. scoring. I think it's going to be a defensive battle. But you saw Thomas Bur- uh, Thomas Davis break his arm. No worries, yeah. though. He's already come out and said that he's going to play anyway. He's already had the surgery done, had a plate put in on his arm today. Uh, he's going to turn around and play. Jared Allen's going to play in two weeks. Um, they're not going to be outstandingly healthy, but I think they've got a better shot overall than Denver does, especially with Bebe not being able to play well right now. Bebe's had to switch between two quarterbacks, and you've seen this postseason, yeah. him and Peyton are not on the same page at all. And you can't depend on Peyton to throw the ball 30, 40 times, and you can't run on Carolina. So it's going to be – it's going to be one of these knockdown dragon months, I think. I think the first person to make a mistake, if somebody makes a mistake early on in the game, I think it can get out of hand. But other than that, I think it'll be maybe a seven-point game. I think it should be a very tough, tough game. Yeah, absolutely. And Thomas Davis, he going into surgery the day after, the morning after, <laughs> going, you know, winning the NFC Championship. I mean, he is he's ready to rock and roll and agree. And even outside of the chemistry between uh, Bebe and, and Peyton, I've seen Bebe drop some passes that, you know, Chemistry is oh, yeah. that hit him in both his hands, and I'm looking like you know I don't know what's really going on with him. You know he's not he hasn't looked like that lead dog receiver that we know he can be that we know we've seen him be. So I, I I agree. I think you know at this point it's just Carolina has everything working in their favor. Uh, I think they win that game. It it may be more than seven points. It may be seven early, but if that Denver offense can't stay on the field, that Denver defense is going to get tired of hitting Cam and hitting Jonathan Stewart and hitting Mike Tober. The old play action then Greg Olson down the team. They're going to get tired of that. They're going to get tired in the second half. So I could see it being mm, 10 to 14, uh, but I don't, I don't want that. I would love for Peyton to go out on top, but I just don't see it happening. All right. I just don't see it happening like that. Okay. I just, I just think that Denver defense is just too quick. And I think they'll sack – you can sack Cam. He'll run himself into sacks a few times, but I think they'll get a few of those. I think Von Miller, as long as he doesn't get a little crazy and uh, plays with himself <laughs> a little bit, uh, I think they'll be able to get Cam on the ground. I think I think that'll be what keeps it low. I think it's going to be Carolina through and through, and I don't think there's going to be really any question in this game. I don't think it's going to be back and forth. I think it's going to be no. Carolina controlling it in a very defense-oriented game. I don't expect it to really jump up past 24 points. I think 24 would be the cap I'd put for, for Carolina in this game. But my thing is if you can hold uh, New England to 18 or whatever it is, I think you can hold Denver to 14. I can see it being 24-14 Carolina. Uh, that Denver defense is going to get tired. And I don't think – I mean, if you look at it, that New England offensive line was just god-awful in that game against Denver. Yeah, now, nothing to take away from DeMarcus Square and Bob Miller. They played fabulous. But they're not going to get a free run in Cam Newton like they got a free run in Tom Brady. That, the, the Carolina offense line is much better than that. And you're going to have some more of those designed runs, and I think the high is going to be able to take some of that aggressiveness against uh, usually against Bob Miller and DeMarcus Ware and kind of run that read option right at them and make them make a decision as opposed to just letting them fly up the field and come around the end and just beat up on them. So we'll, we'll see, but I think we're on a, in the same, you know, we're quibbling about points. <laughs> we, we, we basically control that game and, and wins it, so – you know, we'll see. But we got two weeks, so I'm sure we'll get tired of all the ridiculous stories that are going to come out. Hopefully, nobody gets arrested and does anything dumb. Please, chill out. Yes, just please. Go to the hotel, go home, study in the playbook. You know, hit the weights, but do not be out in the street. Don't get on Tinder. Don't do any of that foolishness. Be cool. All right, 
let's get off the NFL for a second and transition to college football while we still have it for a little bit to talk about. Um, we're getting here close to uh, National Signing Day, and, of course, everybody's jockeying for position. And I'm going to throw it to you because I know you, you know all the dudes' names. I know the records, but I know you know the names. Um, of course, I'm excited my Buckeyes are up there, but what do you see uh, it shaking out in National Signing Day? you think LSU will hold on to it, or you think Ohio State or Michigan can jump up to that one spot? Uh, it's going to come down to these undecided guys. Um, whoever Rashawn Gary goes to, which right now he's leaning towards Clemson, I think mm-hmm. that would jump them way up there. Um, Bama, of course, is going to be way up there, as they usually are. Um, I believe LSU will kind of get that number one. They've got a safety. The number one safety in the country is about to commit to them as well. Uh, Ohio State lost a few people this year, which is what got them down let, let Michigan get close. And Harbaugh, being the crazy man that he is, has garnered some support. But there has been some. There have been – he's not making any friends over there. But there are people that he has offered a scholarship earlier that he no longer wants anything to do with, so he won't answer their calls, things of that nature, just Bush League things things that have followed Harbaugh around because as anybody who watches football knows he's not the most mature of men. So these these are the types of things that I think will always hold Harbaugh back. I think he'll get some good recruits as well, but he's going to alienate a lot of people. So I think I think he'll always remain just behind Ohio State as long as Urban Meyer's winning. So no worries for you guys there. Yeah, this dude is crazy. Uh I, I forget the guy's name, but he uh it was two of them that he pulled their scholarships here at the last minute. But, you know, he's out climbing trees and having sleepovers. So I'm like, come on, Jim. I mean, I, I, I guess Michael you do Jackson what you got to do. College coaches. Yeah. <laughs> he's, a little, he's a little crazy. What I'm looking at here, I know what I'm looking at, oh, Miss, um, it's amazing to me what Hugh Freeze is still able to do. Um, I think at the, uh, the 24-7 one has him at number four right now. Which yeah, you're going to lose uh, Laramie Tunsil and get the number one left tackle again. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've never been to Oxford. I mean, is, is Oxford that great? Have you been to Oxford? It is, it is one of the most beautiful campuses in college. Okay. And just, I, a I lot of people like playing for Hugh Freeze. A lot of offense, a lot of linemen like playing for Hugh Freeze because it makes them look good. Um, a lot of them like to follow in line when they follow a great player before. And so it's a huge thing when he's going to be able to say, hey, I just got the number one tackle drafted. Uh, I had yeah. a great set with offensive and defensive linemen that go through. I'm going to have two first-round picks, at the very least. I'm going to have three first-round picks, and Treadwell, um, Tunsil, mm-hmm. and Kimdichi. And you can say that all three of these kept the potential that they were thought to have when they signed. I got them all NFL ready. And Hugh Freeze has always been a good recruiter. He's just been at smaller schools before. Yeah, I just was not one to think that. You know, maybe he proved me wrong. I didn't think he could keep that going, but he he, he obviously is. And you you could make a, a a strong argument if and DJ hadn't you know jumped out the window with the weed in his in his pocket you know he could have he would have been something yeah I mean and I've read some where Dallas was looking at Treadwell pairing him with Dez Bryant which would just be unfair that's so, not uh, I'm just saying I mean that that would be that would be ignorant <laughs> that would be, it would really be. ignorant wide receiver for uh, but I'm saying the point of he could you could say make the point that he could have had three top ten picks. Uh, so agree to what you're saying. Um, uh, I didn't hear you mention anything about Georgia. What's going on with your boys? A few different rankings all around the league. Uh, 24-7 has us at around number nine-ish right now today. 
Uh, Rivals has them all the way down at 17, and ESPN has them at number nine. Uh, But Rivals is a little bit different. Rivals doesn't take into account undeclared people. So even if the the commitment is expected to be Georgia, if it's not a hard commit, then Rivals doesn't really count it. Um, They're really close to that seven or nine. There's there's a bunch of players who it's – widely assumed they're going to pick Georgia. And there's a few more undecideds where Georgia is the heavy, heavy favorite. Um, that number one athlete, Demetrius uh, Demetrius Robinson. Um, right now the decision is, quote, unquote, between Georgia and Tech, but it's going to end up being Georgia by all accounts. Um, the, the real thing that could have catapulted them is that they had been able to steal uh, that linebacker that had just met with Saban who Georgia was the heavy front runner until he went to Bama for his last visit. And uh, it, it looks like Bama stole him back. So it should be a decent recruiting class. Um, kind of average for Georgia. The big thing is they got three really high offensive linemen. They got Pat Allen, who they got last year, who's going to play this year. Then Cleveland, they got this year, the number one um, lineman in the country. And they got E.J. Price from uh, Archer to commit as well. So they have they got three – very good linemen, great linemen prospects who they really need because that's been a position of weakness. And they're still number one for Derek Brown, and that's that's going to be their huge get. If they've already got Julian Rochester, who's hard committed. They got Trent Thompson last year, and if they get Derek Brown, that means this year they'll have the number two and three defensive tackles. And uh, to pair, pair all three of those three up, it's going to look like the Alabama line where they can rotate all three and not lose anything. Well, that is. See, this is why you tune in to us. You get all the in, all the in-depth uh, recruiting classes, and we'll, and we'll touch back on this once you know uh, National Signing Day comes, and we'll get a, a a better understanding of, like you said, the, all those undecided. And then I'm sure we're always going to get some surprises because that always happens. You know, these are just young 17, 18 year old guys. They're gonna they're gonna they have the right to change their mind, and they often do. So we'll. Well, we'll that we'll last visit is this. the most crucial. Yeah, absolutely. At least the last impression. Absolutely. Um, so let's uh, fast forward here to the Senior Bowl. You know I'm excited because of everything I've been hearing. Um, and I wrote this as a topic before I heard anything about what was happening with Braxton Miller. I just want to put that out there, that I didn't throw that in here so I can get more buck out of I, I I just wanted us to talk about it because we care more about college football as well <laughs> than most people do. But I've heard he's just been absolutely turning heads um, at, at the Senior Bowl here this week in Mobile, that, he, that he's really been still in the show. Because uh, I wanted to see how he was going to do, and I wanted to see if Carson Wentz uh, could could match up some of the the height that's coming in because you know he plays in a little lower program uh, to see if the speed of the game would be uh, too much for him. But all accounts, you know, he's he's doing okay. I don't think he's blowing anybody away, but I've heard that he's doing uh, okay. Actually, I, by all accounts, Wentz has jumped up to be the favorite for that number two overall pick. In all accounts, he's jumped ahead of Goff and Paxton Lynch. Really? Because really, they what they wanted, wanted they wanted. They wanted to see how his accuracy was and how he could read defenses. And so far, in the, it's just the practices. The games haven't played yet, so I try not to pay too much right. attention yet. But as of right now, he's able to look off safeties. Uh, the step up in competition hasn't been a big thing for him. He's willing to try in big windows. Uh, and he's thrown to all three levels of the field with NFL arms. And he measured out almost exactly what they listed him as, uh, second biggest hands, which is a yeah. big deal in the NFL community. Yeah. Well, the day one, so is that, did that come out today? Because when I read it yesterday, um, it, you know, it was like, you know, he's doing okay, uh, but, you know, he hadn't wowed him. But maybe he had a better day today. 
So, I mean, that, and that's good because I, I enjoy the guys that come from, you know, the, the lower divisions to, to prove that they can play with the big boys as well. I think it, 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 it helps all areas of recruiting for all those other programs as well. So they don't always just have to sign and check to go be destroyed by, you know, Georgia or Ohio State or anybody else. Um, so that, that, that is good. I did read a report that um, Malcolm Mitchell, your boy, um, was having a nice little uh, tussle with Cyrus Jones. And Cyrus got a little bit the better him from the beginning. Then uh, they said Michael made a, a great catch on him, uh, where they just had the coaches go nuts. Did you read that? Uh, I hadn't seen that part yet, but I'm hoping he can keep flying under the radar because, as I've said multiple times, Malcolm Mitchell can be an absolute steal in this draft. If you're able to get him in the sixth or seventh round, like some places have him in, that's an absolute steal. I mean, people are worried about his injuries, and his his route running suffered because he was playing both sides of the ball. But as far as talent goes, he's one of the better size-speed hands combinations in this draft. He's probably going to run a high 4-4 right at a 4-5, but he's really elusive. He catches with his hands, which is very important. And uh, if, once he works as a receiver for a little bit longer, you've got yourself a potential return man and you've got somebody who can be a number two receiver in your system. He's already six foot, about 200 pounds. So hopefully he can keep flying under the radar. I would love to see the Falcons steal him late. Yeah, you know, uh, what I also read is that uh, Braxton Miller said he's been watching a lot of tape of Julio uh, to refine some of his route running, and that he would love to come to Atlanta uh, and play opposite and learn from Julio. I was like, I, that, Lord have mercy, that would just be unfair. Um, is there anybody else there at the uh, senior bowl that you got your eye on? Kenneth Dixon, uh, running back from okay. um, Louisiana Tech. Tech. Uh, he's not the best running back in this class, obviously. He's behind Ezekiel Elliott, and he's behind Derrick Henry. Uh, he's behind Alex Collins as well, and probably Jonathan Williams, who everybody's sleeping on. Uh, I will be very interested to see Jonathan Williams. But Kenneth Dixon is one of these guys. He could be the David Johnson of this draft. He's not as fast mm-hmm. as David Johnson but he is an all-around outstanding back and who is a great receiving option coming out of the backfield. So he could be kind of the big sleeper out of this draft. And Jonathan Williams as well. Uh, If he shows that he's completely over his injury, this is a guy who's going to be a top three-round pick coming in. Um, Hard, hard physical runner, perfect size for what you want. Right around 5'10", 5'11", about 225, 230 pounds. Probably running around a 4'5", 5', somewhere around there. Um, big physical back who um, ran for a lot of yards right behind Alex Collins. So Arkansas could have two backs drafted very high in this draft who could both be very good NFL starters. Yeah, that 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 is hilarious to me because it reminds me of that, that year that NC State uh, had their whole defensive line drafted, and I believe they were like six and five. It's like, how do you have your whole defensive yeah. line drafted? The first year rounds you went six and five. So, I, you know, that just means the coaches aren't getting the most out of them to me. Um, uh, one last thing from um, from college, and I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I just when I saw the number, it startled me. Uh, the SSU settling with uh, the Winston's accuser for nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And you want to know what's even crazier about that? Yeah, go for it. Even crazier about that. I dug into this a little bit. You realize that the lady is only going to get about 250000 of that, and the lawyers are going to take home $700,000 out of that. Are you serious? I am in the, I am in the wrong line of work. Yeah, yeah, wow. Wow. I mean, in 250000 scoffs that, but, I mean, come on. I, I'm the one that got fondled here. How do you end up with three times as much as I got? But I, 
I, they must have something. It really is for them to not still have said, we, you know, to admit to any wrongdoing. They said it's the highest uh, cash out for a, a Title IX claim where the, uh, the institution is not uh, admitted to any wrongdoing. And I just thought that was amazing. Um, and I'm surprised it didn't get more um, media coverage, you know, in this day and age. Are you really? Anything. Are you honestly? Yeah, I, am because, I am only because anything that's, you know, nowadays that's domestic violence or sexual assault related jumps straight up to the top. So I don't know if people have fatigue with it or, you know, I guess maybe they just don't care like I, more than I thought they would. But, you know, given where we've been in 2015 and coming in 2016, I'm, I'm shocked that they get more coverage just, just because of that. You can't do anything to a woman nowadays. What do you expect? Yeah, but, you know, in the nowadays, the TMZ and everybody with a cell phone and, you know, here we got our own podcast, you know, just I was shocked in terms of that because, you know, it, it, it's really come to that. And not that anything is wrong with that. We should be highlighting these things, and that's why I was more shocked that it, it didn't get more uh, media attention. Um, and <clears throat> so let's uh, transition away from that. I don't want to get too far in the weeds with that. I was just – I saw that. I just wanted to talk to you about it. I was shocked at the number. Um, I watched that Golden State-San Antonio um, – well, you can call it a game, I guess – really ready to dig in and try to, you know, have some really good things to say about it. And my word, I don't know what you're going to do to stop Golden State. I mean, they go to the small ball, and they just ran David West and LaMarcus Aldridge off the floor. They mean they made them look horrible. It was a 30-point win. Curry didn't even play the fourth quarter. I mean, I, I, I tell you that I turned from that and turned to round four of the Australian Open because it was just so bad. <laughs> <laughs> That it was, it just, it was, it was not worth watching. Like you know, I watched Serena and Maria, and it ended right in time for this game to start, and I was so excited. And then, I just from the get go, they just ran them off the court. And when we had this conversation a week ago, where I said, you know, let's not sleep on San Antonio. Uh, you know, we can go ahead and put the snooze back on. We can go back to sleep because I don't <laughs> think anybody has anything for Golden State. I really don't. I don't think anybody does. Uh, that's why I said it from the beginning. This is Golden State versus Golden State. As long as they stay healthy, I think they walk away with another title. And I mean walk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, when you get those pop teams, they normally are all are ready to come out and play. And they did, they look anything other than that. And I don't even know if Tim Duncan can play in that series because who is he going to guard? And if they play that up-tempo like they like to play – he, and he's already older, and he's now dealing with a bad knee. How many minutes can you realistically get from him game to game in, you know, in a seven-game series against Golden State? I just don't think you can. They're going to have to downsize and try to match up with Golden State because I don't know if they can slow the game down enough to to use their size advantage with Aldridge and Duncan. So If they're going to want out. any hope, they're going to have to play Aldridge at the five and play DL at the four to try to put DL on Draymond Green bring David West off the bench as the five as well with Tim Duncan. That's the only the only way they're going to be able to do it. And I, I don't think it's going to happen. Tony Parker can't hang with Stephen Curry, and that's nothing against Parker. But Golden State just has too much shooting and too much dynamic and, dribbling to go along with their shooting to really, really be challenged by any of these teams. I mean, I never want to take away from Oklahoma State because at any or Oklahoma City because at any time – Anytime you have Durant and Westbrook, things can happen. And Ibaka, yeah. if he's on a roll, can happen. But even they, that I believe they probably got the best shot, and I don't give them more than a 30% chance. 
that's a good point. I think you you might be right because just the way they naturally line up is the is probably the most dynamic and small ball lineup that, like you said, could have in theory a shot. But that means you're going to have to get 40 plus minutes from all three of those guys. They're going to have to stay out of foul trouble, and they're going to have to have their A game for four out of the seven games to have a shot. And that's asking a lot. You bench have guys. to play. Yeah, but they're going to have to play. They're going to have to play 40 minutes every game. They're going to have to be on the floor and be dynamic. I mean, they're going to have, they will have to carry them. They're, that, I just don't know, dude. I think Golden State, I can yeah, I don't, in walk. I don't see anybody that's going to beat them for a long time. And not for out of seven. They, they look, they look like they could be the bulls of this generation. Yeah, you might get them once. But to beat them four out of seven, mm, just don't see it happening. Um, mm-hmm. So let's just, you know, go to some other NBA news um, and – I, I just don't know what to say with, about Cleveland. Again, I'm not a Cleveland fan. I'm from Ohio. I'm not a Cleveland fan, though. I've never liked the Cavaliers. I like LeBron because he's an Ohio boy. I want to see him do well. But, you know, whether Cleveland ever wins a championship in any sport, I, I really don't care. But man is 31-11, and 11, and you fire him. Um, and LeBron, with his passive aggressiveness, not getting the – you know, I'm, I'm not saying Black's the best head coach, but he's 31-11, and 11, and he's the same guy this year – that he was last year. So if you didn't think he was going to be right this year, you should have fired him in the offseason. And then you get you make the guy that you wanted to be the coach, Tyron Lue, you made him his assistant coach and gave him made him the most highest paid assistant coach in the league. So you further undermine his authority. I just think that's a cluster in Cleveland. And now there's no more excuses for LeBron. You got Kyrie healthy. You got Kevin Love healthy. You went out and got Smith and Shumpert and Mozgov and – Everybody that you asked to get on the team that you could get within reason, you got. And now you supposedly got the coach that you wanted. So there's, there are no more excuses left for him. I mean, he's bristling at the, you know, coach killer moniker, but what else can you call him? Oh, he's a huge coach killer. He's a huge ego. I mean, I don't know if you heard the thing, but uh, one of the big things at Miami was he wanted Spolster fired and Pat Riley wouldn't do it. So LeBron took yep. the ball and went home. Uh <laughs> he wanted Blatt out when Blatt was the coach that he handpicked Blatt because he wanted a yes-man coach so he could do whatever he wanted. And now he wants Blatt gone, so he's got Dan Gilbert bent over the table, so he's gone. And uh, he's going to try to do the same thing since Ron Lou. It's, it's the same thing everywhere he goes. I mean, the man is just an egomaniac, but now he's trying to be a little bit more closet about it, pretending like he doesn't know. I mean, come on. You're talking about a guy that forced Cleveland to give – Tristan Thompson a max deal. I mean, somebody yeah, has to just tell him no. Just say no, LeBron. I mean, he, he should tell them he wants to be a player coach. That's the way it's heading. I think that's what he wants to do, honestly, to be a player coach. Um, you saw it in the huddles, just telling David Blatt, no, I'm not going to run this play. No, I'm not going right. to inbound, blah, blah, blah. Just all sorts of things. Things that you don't see top players and great leaders do. And this is the biggest reason that I don't put LeBron in the same breath as some of these other guys. I mean, talent-wise, he's right up there with him. But mentally, he's like Allen Iverson, only Allen Iverson had the heart to play hurt. Yeah, right. And, and, and you know, just to, I guess, to put a, a ball on this, you mean to tell me that the guy that's most famous for having Allen Iverson shoot over him and then step over him and look down on him? Is a guy that is going to be able to criticize LeBron. LeBron says he's going to take it. Please, come on. I lost, I lost some respect for LeBron in this process and the Cleveland organization. That's just, that's just not how you do it. Um, and I don't know if you saw Pop the other night say, oh, my goodness, we got beat by 30 points. I wonder if, 
if I'm going to get fired. I thought that was classic. Love Popovich. I mean, <laughs> team. Oh, he's great. always good for a soundbite. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a great zinger <laughs> at Cleveland. I loved it. Uh, I'm going to throw it to you because I hadn't really heard the scuttlebutt on uh, Teague being on the block. I know his numbers are down this year, but, man, and, and after you told me that, I went and did some reading, and Utah is trying to get him for Trey Burke and Alex Burks and, I guess, a bag of flaming Hot Doritos. I mean, seriously, Atlanta? I, I hope they don't. You make a joke game. about I, that? If I can take the floor for a second, and it's not just Teague, it's actually Teague and Schroeder both on the block seeing who can bring them the most mm-hmm. in return. Mm-hmm. It's a smart play. Teague's not a championship point guard. If you're Atlanta, you're going to finish just good enough to have a crappy draft spot but not good enough to actually contend for anything. Um, you're going to lose Horford, so if it were me, I'd trade Horford as well. Honestly, the only player that you really have to keep from this squad is Millsap. Everybody else is interchangeable parts. Um, I would jump on that Trey Burke, Alec Burks, bandwagon in a heartbeat. I don't care about Trey Burke at all, but Alec Burks is the exact kind of player Atlanta needs. He's a play hard player. He can hit the three. He can defend. He's athletic. He's all get out so he can handle the ball and get to the rack and get to the line. I would do that trade in a heartbeat. Let Schroeder either have the reins or trade Schroeder. Use Burke for a year when you draft another point guard. Um, Maybe try to work a trade to get Jerry and Grant back since you let him go like an idiot and got nothing out of hard way. That's really what it comes down to is the offseason moves for the Hawks did not pan out in any sort of way. So now they're kind of scrambling. Uh, I've kind of expected Teague to be gone. Milwaukee and the Knicks are both also in on it, but there's not yeah. really any talk of who they're including. Yeah, I, I, I would imagine I, I, Milwaukee I is including MCW. But, Sorry. Yeah, no, 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 no. And, but, yeah, but, yeah, I mean, unless you think he's going to have a turnaround where, you know, he can shoot thir- pick up his shooting because NCW cannot shoot the ball at all. I'm just not that high on shoot the ball from outside three feet. Exactly. I, I think that if you make that deal with Utah that you're selling low on T. That's just me personally. Um, I don't know what's happening with him this year, but I, 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 that's just me. I don't know if I would make, necessarily make that deal. But, you know, you could be right. Um, they may fit in that, uh, you know, the San Antonio East kind of a uh, run system, but I, yeah, I think I would give Teague a little bit more time. I mean, I hate to trade low on anything because you're never going to get the, the value you should get out of it. I guess is my point of that. Um, and so there's I know no more time to like wait on Teague. Teague is always tantalizing with the talent, but there's no more time to wait on him. He's getting up older in years. He's going to start to slow down soon, and he can't finish at the rim. That's not something that's ever going to change. This has been his problem going back to Wake Forest. That's always going to be his problem. He's not consistent. At some points, he looks like the best point guard in the league. At others, you wonder why he's even on the floor. Um, He's not a good defender. He's a horrible on-ball defender. He's gotten much better in the pick and roll and in the dirty spots. He can steal the ball a good bit now, and he's athletic. But he's not a consistent shooter, and he's – He's just not a top-tier point guard, and these are the same things that are always going to plague him. And that's why he fell to 19 when Atlanta drafted him. Uh, so you, you got to do something. I'd rather you try and fail because basketball rewards big. You either win big or you lose big in basketball. It's it's worse to be in the middle. No, I agree, but I sure would hate for them to make that trade and he go to Utah and ball out because they gave up on him uh, a little too soon. That's just me. But, you know, we could probably go for it. Another 30 minutes on this. Um, I'll table the hot stove uh, because I wanted to get your, your take on some of these outfield signings, but without football next week, I think I'll just push that 
to next week. Uh, we'll do that first before we get into our, to our draft. Um, I want you to let the people, good people know about <laughs> your argument, your discussion uh, with Chuck and Cherno, uh, and I'm going to let you close it out. Thank you, everybody, for – I'm not going to rant. I want you to take my rant time because this is it's just fascinating and hilarious to me all at the same time. Thank you, everybody, for listening and tuning in. Next week we're going to do a little baseball talk, and me and Dylan are going to go into our what we would like the Bengals and the Falcons, respectively, to do in this upcoming draft. I'll give you the floor, brother. It's always great to uh, share the mic with you. My fellow soldiers, all of the fans of the morning after, we are at war along with the front row with Chuck and Chernoff. <laughs> For those of you that tuned in last week know I did a little little research into the hits and misses of the Thomas Dimitrov era. And all of you know I am no fan of Thomas Dimitrov. In fact, I think he's one of the worst GMs in the league, bar none. Well, apparently, according to a certain member of the Chuck and Chernoff crew, I am a Dimitrov lover because <laughs> I'm not dumb enough to say that a pro bowler is garbage. Now, you can state your case that you don't like Dimitrov, and you really shouldn't because he's bungled picks left and right, especially on the lines. But if you have an undrafted free agent, for example, Paul Warlow, who leads your team in tackles all three years that he has been in the league, playing over your second, third, fourth-round picks, what have you, yes, those other ones were busts, but there's nothing you can call that undrafted free agent but a hit. He has led your team in tackles. It does not matter that he wouldn't play the same snaps somewhere else. The fact is you are getting that value out of somebody who you didn't think well enough of to draft. It's all about perception. Same thing with Croy Bierman. Is he a good player? No. Should he play 60 snaps? No. Ideally, he's playing 20 in a reserve role. But you've had to ask him to start because you can't draft. So you know what? He's performed above his expectation level. That makes him a hit. I shouldn't have to explain it this way to somebody who's been in the business for 20 years, but maybe somebody should take a listen and maybe ask the actual football player at the station before they start taking shots. <laughs> and I'm just going to go ahead and put this out here for you. Wait a goddamn minute, Rondell. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I I totally agree with you, bro. Um, you got to do a combination of fit and talent. And like I gave him an example earlier, I don't think Julian Edelman would be the receiver he is in the Arizona offense where it's strictly a downfield attack. But for the rub and the stick and the crossing routes that New England does, he's a fantastic fit, and he and his talent shows up in that system. But I, I think you've got to do a little both, where you draft them or undraft them, and what kind of system they're in. You know, you just can't make a blanket statement. So I agree, but I, I just feel like it's fabulous that you guys are going out of this two shows. I, that, is, that is awesome. That is absolutely We will awesome. win this war because I do not lose. <laughs> I ain't no punk. <laughs> As always, brother. In the words of Chris Tucker, you must think I'm a fool. Y'all think I'm a fool? <laughs> before she cuts us off, bro, great show as always. I'm sure we'll be in contact uh throughout the week over something sports-related. Have a good week. Good week to everybody else as well, and we'll talk to you this time next week. Have a good one, bro. Yes, sir. I'll keep you posted on how the war's going, fans. Never worry. Always (laughs) join us at the morning after. You know we're going to give you just sports and only sports because we know that's what you want. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right, bro. I got to start tuning in the tape of the song because I've got to be able to hear this. Uh, All right. Have a good one, Quan. <laughs> I used to do it.